you this evening. I understood that was verse 4. I, I understood that. I got it. I tell you, Carl does a wonderful job. I give Carl a text. I send him a text on Saturday and I tell him the topic of my sermons and, and he puts together <clears throat> the appropriate songs for that and does a wonderful job. Well, this evening, I just realized it when he began to lead the first song, I forgot to send Carl a text. I got distracted. It doesn't seem like that's very difficult for me to do. <laughs> He's hoping I wasn't going to preach what was. But he picked a perfect song, though he did not know it. My Redeemer Lives. And we're going to talk a little bit about that tonight in, in different ways. If you would open your Bible to John 11, we're going to notice in just a few moments the account of Lazarus coming forth from the grave. Uh, we're going to notice our passage is going to be verse 39 through verse 44. But we're going to notice the background of that too. I've entitled this sermon, Come Forth. Because that is exactly what not only Lazarus did, but what we must do also. Do you <clears throat> recall the name Harry Rimmer? Harry Rimmer was an American creationist. He was a scientist. He was uh, an anti-evolutionary person. He did a lot of work in that area. He defended the inerrancy of the Bible, and he was one of the first to do it through science. And so he was uh, really good at what he did. But as a child, Mr. Rimmer grew up in severe poverty. He lived in Northern California, and he lived in mining towns, in lumber camps, and he just kind of went from one place to the other. He had to quit school in the third grade. Therefore, the result of that was that he never had a job that wasn't simply a labor job that required no skill. Most anyone can use a shovel. I've noticed when, when I help Clay and Shane maybe do some things, I usually use the shovel because almost anybody can do that. I leave the, the hard stuff to them. But while he was working in one particular mining camp, he kind of received an informal education from one of the uh, engineers there. And they taught him some things, uh, particularly in the area of science. And so he, from that uh, experience, he began to love science. Well, later he went into the army at age 19, and he went into the artillery uh, section of the military, and while in there he learned to box. He became a good boxer. And so when he got out of the army, he was uh, fortunate enough to attend a medical school. Of course, he was born in 1890, he died in 1952, and at that time you could just go to medical school. And he didn't get to go long. He went for a couple of years, and uh, because of finances, he had to stop going to medical school. But while he was in there, he supported himself as a prize fighter. Now, later on, he was able to attend and graduate from various colleges. He attended the Bible College of San Francisco. He attended Whittier College, uh, the Bible College of Los Angeles, now known as Biola. Ultimately, he did graduate uh, from the University of Colorado, or, or uh, he went to the University of Colorado and studied geology, but then he graduated from Wheaton College in Illinois with a doctorate degree. And so he just kind of muscled his way through life. 
and uh, he was dedicated to what he was doing. And he became a traveling evangelist throughout the world. We might call him a missionary. Uh, People often referred to him as a combination of scientist and successful evangelist. Well, that gave him the opportunity as he traveled throughout the world. He met leaders of various nations in different capacities within the countries in which he traveled. On one occasion, he was in Egypt. And he had an opportunity to talk to the Secretary of State. And of course, Mr. Rimmer brought up Christianity. And as he was talking to this Muslim Secretary of State within the government of Egypt, he said, Christians believe that God has revealed Himself to mankind in three different ways. The Secretary of State said, we also believe that. Mr. Emmer said, we believe God has revealed Himself through a book called the Bible. The Muslim said, we too believe that. We believe God has revealed Himself through a book called the Quran. Well, he said, I believe that He has revealed Himself through creation. The Muslim said, we also believe that. Finally, he said, we believe that God has revealed Himself through His Son, Jesus Christ, the great prophet of whom Moses spake. The Muslim looked at him and he said, we too believe that. We believe that God has revealed Himself through the prophet Muhammad. Finally, Mr. Rimmer said, well, we believe that Jesus is able to substantiate His claim because, as in the words of the song we sang, Our Redeemer lives. Jesus rose from the dead. On stating that, the the Muslim hesitated. His eyes fell to the ground. And finally he replied saying, We have no information concerning our prophet after his death. You see, in their mind, Muhammad is their Redeemer, but he doesn't live. Muhammad is with all the other false teachers, sinful people of the world in the Hadean realm at this time. His spirit lived on. But he did not walk out of the grave in a human form as our Lord did. So what is the foundation of Christianity? That our Lord Jesus Christ walked out of a dead man's tomb. I know when I began to study this topic and I I would write notes and I'd write a note, Jesus walked out of a dead man's tomb alive. Well, if you walk out of something, you're obviously alive, aren't you? had to go back and, and edit that just a little bit. But does it stop there? Isn't there other Christian principles by which we live? The fact that every man, every woman who obeys the gospel of Jesus Christ can and does walk out of a dead man's tomb. Of course, we're talking spiritually. The New Testament teaches that salvation is a free gift from God with with conditions attached to it. It's much like when we inherit something from a family member. We may inherit something. It's a free gift. We didn't earn it. There was nothing we did to gain it. simply was given to us, but we may have to fulfill certain things to gain that. And that's what salvation is. 
when the life of Christ is studied, and we look at just the handful of, of times, three that I'm aware of, recorded for us, where Jesus brought someone back from the dead, after we look at that circumstance and the things surrounding that, and, and we see what He did, we learn very quickly that His purpose was not to come to earth to raise someone from the dead physically speaking. Oh, He did that. He had the power to do that. But that was not His primary purpose. After all, those who He raised from the dead, did they not once again die later on? Sure they did. If His life is to be judged in terms of those of whom He raised physically from the grave, then His mission was a total failure. Because again, as far as I can tell, He raised three people from the dead. He raised the widow of Nain's son. He, with, a, with a soft-spoken word, he, he laid his hand upon the bier on which he was lying and he told him, young man, arise. He was headed to the burial ground. You remember Jairus' daughter, he reached and put her hand in his hand and the maid got up off of the bed. And then, of course, he did raise Lazarus his beloved friend. Now that was an amazing miracle though, wasn't it? Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. He had already begun to decay physically. Jesus restored that man. But was Jesus the only person that ever brought someone back from death in this physical world? Of course not. We see other people who have done that. But He is the only one who can bring a spiritually dead person back from death. And He's able to do that. If one is going to be saved, we must participate in the process by which we are to be saved. You remember several years ago, those Chilean miners were stuck in a a coal mine. And and I think of that and I think of a, a... not that it's funny at all, and I'm not saying that, but I think of a comedian that talked about that. Those men were rescued. But now what about this idea? If they were going to be rescued, and in whatever manner they rescued them, I don't know if they brought them up out of a hole or whatever they did. It, let's just say they did that. And they were having to put some kind of a rope or a ladder of some sort down into the hole, into the ground. If those men refused to step onto that ladder, or grab onto that rope, would they have been saved? No, there was the possibility of being saved. There was the opportunity to be saved. But unless they participated in that in some way, they would have never been saved. And see, we have to participate. We have to participate in our salvation. That doesn't mean we save ourselves. We're going to notice that in a few moments. But we have to participate. I want us to notice something else too. The whole time that Jesus lived among people, not one time did He ever heal someone who was not sick. Not one time did He ever raise someone who was not dead. He did not do those things to healthy people, did He? The saved do not need to be saved. They have been saved. Now they need to maintain. We need to maintain. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about salvation. He only brought forth those who had died or was in danger of dying. Why? Because they were sick. That's our first point. Sickness 
is a terrible thing, isn't it? Even those of us who have minor illnesses or minor problems or things of that nature, it is still a terrible thing. When we get to the point in life where we can't do it like we used to do it when we were 20, we don't particularly care for that, do we? We don't like that. If you're going to grow old in this life, you better be pretty tough, right? Or you'll never make it. How do we know Lazarus was sick though? He was declared to be sick. You remember what his sister did? She sent word to Jesus and John recorded saying, Now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha, John 11.1. I don't know how often he visited this family, but I know it was close to them. They shared a great friendship beyond the, the love that God has for everyone, this, this high-level love, agape love. He had a brotherly love for them. He enjoyed their company. But Lazarus had taken ill. Now, we're not told what kind of sickness had befallen this man. We just know that he was sick, and we know that it was serious enough for his sister to contact the Lord. She needed help, and she understood that. They wanted him to come. Now, I want us to notice, though, before the Lord can help us, and we have to make some kind of application, we have to want to be helped, right? Now, Jesus knows the hearts of all men. He knew that Lazarus was sick. But I don't know that the people around which he lived at that time fully understood that. I think they knew it was definitely something special. He could bring people back from the dead. I believe they understood he was from God, but there's a whole lot there that they likely did not understand. The thought of him knowing that Lazarus was sick, I don't know that that entered their mind because they did send a message. But they wanted help. Before we can receive help, we're going to have to want help. We're going to have to want to be helped. We're going to have to try to find that help. And that's the other thing. We have to be responsible in seeking out that help, right? Now, I believe in the providence of God. I believe someone who is searching for God Someone who wants to gain salvation. I believe in my heart that God will put someone in their path or they will be able to in some way come across some person or some material or, or whatever the case may be where they can obey the gospel. Now I'm not talking about a miracle. I'm talking about God's providence. His working in the lives of people in non-miraculous ways. But we have to seek that. The reader notices this action on the part of Lazarus' sister. Mary and Martha took steps to gain this for their brother. Like this trio of friends in Bethany, we have to follow the same uh, avenue they did. Notice they sought Jesus. Why? They believed Him. They believed Jesus could help. See, we have to believe that. Muhammad can't help us. Muhammad isn't available to help us. He's a person just like any other person who lived and died. He's gone on from history. Time has moved on. There's no help from Muhammad. But there is help from Christ because our Redeemer lives. We have to believe that or we're not going to get very far, John 8, 24. We have to turn to Him in obedience. Who would Mary and Martha turn to? They turned to Jesus. He was the one who could raise someone from the dead. We have to show our faith in a public way. That's what they did. They sent a message. The one you love is sick. See, we have to live that 
confession. Jesus talked about that in Matthew 10, 31, 32. Of course, we have to be proactive. We have to be willing to do the things necessary. Well, we have to be able to make some kind of application. They reached out toward the one who could do it, and they did what he asked. We're going to notice that in a few moments. He asked them to do some things, and they did those things. They didn't say, well, I don't understand why you can't do that. If you can raise a man from the dead, why can't you do these other things? It's not nearly as hard. See, we have to look at this plan of salvation, and, and Jesus said we need to be immersed in water for the forgiveness of sins. Without that, we can't have forgiveness of sin. You see, that action puts us into the body of Christ. Galatians 3, 26 and 27, it puts us into Christ where all spiritual blessings are, Ephesians 1, 3. We have to abide by that. And of course, then we have to be steadfast in our righteous living. I think one thing should always stand out was their great faith in Jesus. Do you notice that they didn't make the request of come to us? I don't know if that really makes any difference or not, but it stuck out in my mind. They simply said that he was sick and they knew that the Lord could do something about it. Lazarus was declared sick, but let us notice the decision that Jesus made. He didn't go. That's hard to understand sometimes at, at first glance. He chose to wait. No doubt those closest to him were confused after all. He got the message, the one you love is sick. He's in danger of losing his life. Now why did he delay? Well, it wasn't because of a lack of love or concern for Lazarus. It certainly wasn't that. But he had gotten the message. And later, two days later, he decided to go. So he went in that direction. Surely he could have raised Lazarus from his sick bed by a spoken word or simply a thought, but he didn't do that. He went to the place. I don't know that the world quite understands this. What's going on here? Did he love Lazarus? Sure he loved Lazarus. So why didn't he just simply raise his friend? Because our Lord, our Redeemer who lives, was carrying out a very specific plan. He was showing something and demonstrating something to the world. At the home in Bethany, we read those famous words, the, the verse everybody wants to, to speak when we have to memorize something. Jesus wept. Jesus did weep. Why? Because there is always despair when it comes to death, right? His decision resulted in, in them not understanding why, the despair of those who loved Lazarus. The end result of sickness is often death, isn't it? If we live long enough in this world, we're going to die in this world, aren't we? The end result of spiritual sickness will always be death. There's no question about it. If we're spiritually sick, Unless we seek the healing powers of Jesus, we'll never recover. Christ allowed the physical processes of this natural world to take its toll on Lazarus. The man died from whatever sickness he had. He was put in a tomb. He'd been there for four days. But he did this 
so that Jesus could establish that He could save us spiritually by demonstrating His power over the physical. He didn't allow Lazarus to die because he didn't care. He allowed him to die because he did care. He did care. He cared about the world, right? Listen to what he told Martha. John eleven twenty five through 26. After waiting two more days, Christ took His journey. to. Or, uh, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. And then he asked her, Believest thou this? Do you believe what I'm telling you? I'm the resurrection. I'm the life. Those who believe in me, though they're dead, they will live again. Now do you believe that? That's not going to happen today in the physical realm. Jesus is not going to go to the cemetery and raise our loved ones from the deathbed. But He can save those who are dead in sin if we believe Him and we take the appropriate action. Never let us allow the sadness and the despair of the situation to be lost on us. Death brings with it misery. But just think how much worse it is if our loved ones are not faithful. Reminds me of Luke sixteen twenty eight. The rich man in Hades lifted up his eyes, being in torments, seeing Lazarus afar off. He wanted Abraham to send Lazarus back to his five brethren because he didn't want them to join him. Let's not make it worse. If it could be worse, the sickness that caused the death of Lazarus led to His summons. This is our second and our last point. But I think we need to understand there was some preparation that first took place. Christ will never do for us what we can do for ourselves. We were talking about His plan of salvation. I think the world will agree we have to have faith in Jesus. I don't think anyone would argue about having to repent of past sins and and saying, I'm not going to do that any longer. I'm not going to live in that way. I think everybody is on board with making the statement, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe He did walk out of a dead man's tomb. I think He's reigning right now in heaven on His throne at the right hand of the Father in the power seat, as it were. But then someone says, but I don't understand this whole baptism thing. Why do we need to get down in the water? I know that we read about it in the Bible, but that's a work. Well, it's a work of God, there's no doubt about it, but so is faith and repentance and confession. Faithful living is a work of God. But let's make some kind of illustration from what happened at the tomb of Lazarus. He goes to the place where Lazarus was buried and he demonstrated at that point God will not do for us what we can do for ourselves. He said, move the stone away from the entrance. Why didn't Christ do that? He's raising a man from the dead. Can He not move a stone? Yes, He can. He created the stone. But He won't do for us what we can do for ourselves. So they moved the stone. We read a little further down in the passage and He says, take the burial clothes off of Him. They wrapped Him up in these burial clothes. Why why should someone else take the burial clothes off? Lord, You raised Him from the dead. Just remove them. 
with a spoken word or a thought. He doesn't do for us what we can do for ourselves. They could move a stone. They could remove the burial clothes. They could not bring this man back from the dead. Only Christ can do that. God will not believe for us. He will not repent for us. He will not confess His Son's name for us. He will not walk down into water and be baptized for us. He will not live faithfully for us. But He will save us if we'll do what we can do for ourselves. Our Redeemer lives and because of that we can walk out of a dead man's tomb if we do what we can do for ourselves. And that's what God expects. He expects that from us. Can Jesus save and can God forgive any sin of which one repents? Yes, absolutely He can. But we have to do some things first, right? I have to repent of that sin. If I don't repent of the sin, God won't forgive me. Once the preparation is fulfilled, then the power of Jesus can be fully understood. With a loud voice, Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. Now, I've never seen anything like that. But when I read that, and I try to picture in my mind, through the eye of faith, that bounding voice of Christ, naming that man to come out of the grave. I heard one man say one time, if he had not said, Lazarus, come forth, everybody would have come forth. I believe that. Let me tell you something else I think about. That's not the last time that Jesus will speak those words. On the last day, when He returns with the faithful from paradise, they inhabit their bodies, we're going to have a resurrection. Jesus will call all people forth. Now we're going to come to a resurrection of one of two things. We're going to come forth to a resurrection of life and glory, meeting our Lord in the air, First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to go on and be with Him eternally in heaven and we're going to enjoy the blessings that He has offered to us because our Redeemer lives, because He came forth, or we'll be resurrected to a resurrection of death. Not physical death. Physical death has nothing on spiritual death. Eternal torment being punished, being separated from the presence of God, being separated from those whom we love. Hell holds everything we fear the most. I don't know anyone that enjoys darkness. We may not necessarily be afraid of it, but I don't know that we enjoy it. That's why we have electricity, right? That's why we don't burn candles in our homes. We have a light bulb. And I used to tell my dad all the time, I said, I'm not afraid of the dark, just of what's in the dark. But hell is dark. It's full of fire. No one wants that. I think everyone's afraid of fire, at least in some way. Loneliness? Who likes being alone in this world? We're going to be alone in hell. Not being around God. Not being around those we love. Hell has everything that we do not want. So what will our end result be? Are we going to come forth? 
into a resurrection of life because of obedience to the plan of salvation? Will we come forth into the resurrection of life because if we have fallen away or we've sinned in some way that we came forth and repented of those sins and acknowledged our wrong? Or will we come forth to a life of damnation because we ignored the opportunities afforded to us? Those are questions that we need to answer. And we learn the correct answer as we study this man that came forth. Paul said, 2 Corinthians 6 verse 2, Today is the day of salvation. There is no tomorrow. If it comes, it'll be today, right? If we see tomorrow, it'll be today. It won't be tomorrow. We don't live in tomorrow. We only live in right now. Today is the day of salvation. It's time to make the decision. A resurrection of life or a resurrection to damnation. Come forth as we stand and as we sing.